Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano, and I'm hosting today's program. If you wonder what anarchy is all about, it's simple. It's about the creation of a society without rulers. Very simple. And how do you do that? Well, one way we could attempt to do that is by creating a society based on direct democratic principles where the people involved in those decisions make those decisions and elect or appoint delegates, not representatives, delegates, to carry out those decisions on their behalf. It's a society where wealth is held in common and used for the common good. So if you're looking for crass political action, this is not the program for you. Now today, we are going to do something that nobody else does in the alternative media. And I describe the alternative media as the corporate-owned media and the government-gilded ABC. Community radio is the people's medium, right? is the people's media. It's not the corporate-owned media and the government-gilded ABC which have their own agendas to uh, pursue on a daily basis. So today we are going to use the C word, yes, over and over and over again. We are going to use the C word ad nauseum. The last frontier, the last boundary will be broken. We will be talking about Class in 21st century Australia. Oh, I can see you now. You're going pale, wobbles at the knees. You're starting to sweat. You're about to rush for the toilet. You're about to vomit in the toilet bowl. Relax. We can use the word class. We can use it. We can talk about it. And we need to talk about it. So let's start off. Class in 21st century Australia. What's it all about? I mean, Australian history, you can divide Australian history into four distinct periods. And again, you won't find this in the history books. You won't find this in the government guild at ABC. You won't find this in the corporate-owned media. All right? This is an analysis you can only access on the people's medium, community radio. As I said before, Australian history can be divided into four distinct periods. 
pre-colonisation, colonisation, egalitarian, and a postmodern counter-revolutionary period, which we've all lived through through the past 40 years. Now, class, the C word, class, C-L-A-S-S, has played a pivotal role in Australian society since the colonisation began in in 1788, 228 years ago. Pre-colonisation, 60,000 years ago. During the uh, 60,000-year pre-colonisation phase, over 200 First Peoples nations were created on the Australian mainland and many of the surrounding islands. And we need to remember, considering you're all celebrating Australia Day, these communities had their own distinct laws, cultures, languages, spiritual beliefs, and lived within well-defined geographical boundaries. Complex trading routes were established across the country, And processes were put in place that regulated movement between these communities, these independent nation-states. Hereditary class divisions based on the accumulation of wealth played a minimal role in Aboriginal communities and a more prominent role in the Melanesian First People nations that evolved in the Torres Strait. So let's forget... Let's not forget that this country has a 60,000-year history and the pre-colonisation period is something that needs to be acknowledged every time we talk about anything, including class. Colonisation. The colonisation period stretched from 1788, from the 26th of January 1788, when the British crowned began to, you know, stick its claws into the continent till 1854. Why pick these two dates? Well, 1788 is obvious, 1854 may not be so obvious. Although many European explorers and adventurers had set foot in Australian soil since the Dutch sea captain William Gents first landed at Wenlock River, in Queensland in 1606. And obviously there's stories about uh, Chinese exploration of the continent before the British exploration. Obviously there was Portuguese exploration, Spanish exploration, Dutch exploration, Indonesian, the, the Indonesian archipelago, the islands, the relationship between the indigenous inhabitants of northern Australia and Papua New Guinea and uh, West Papua. I mean, I mean, this was part of it. Although there had been these interactions for thousands of years and for at least the last thousand years there'd been people knocking on the door, no serious attempt was made to colonise Australia and dispossess the original inhabitants until Captain Arthur Phillip established a colony in the name of the British Crown on the 26th of January 1788 in New South Wales 
no serious attempt had actually been made to dispossess the original inhabitants, to colonise the continent. Within six decades of the British penal colony being established at Port Jackson, the Indigenous population in Australia, which numbered well over a million, had been reduced to less than 50,000. If you don't call that a genocide, what do you call it? Now, just to give you an example of how inhabited this continent was, when the French first came into Port Phillip Bay, I think it was 1801 or 1802, and I had a look in the journal, I think it was of Badoun, of the French captain, I could be wrong, but in the journal he clearly stated that when they entered Port Phillip Bay at night, there were so many campfires on the shores of Port Phillip Bay that it looked like a French city. So when we think of the colonisation process, most of us think of the sparsely inhabited interior, but we need to understand that this country, this continent, supported well over a million people when the colonisation process began, and within 60 years, that population had been reduced to less than 50,000. I mean, this drastic reduction in the population occurred as a direct result of the transplantation of the British class system to Australia. Whoa, you say, whoa, what a statement. The rigid hierarchical divisions which exist between the officers, soldiers, bureaucrats and convicts created conditions that soon led to open warfare between the indigenous population and the colonisers. Because this wasn't just about establishing a penal settlement, you know, in some far-flung region to empty the hulks in the Thames. This was much more. (coughs) The British ruling and entrepreneurial classes began, yes, I've used the C word again, began investing heavily in Australia, initially using three convict labour and then cheap ticket of leave and immigrant labour to create vast estates that were built on the brutal destruction of people that had lived on this continent for almost 60,000 years or over 60,000 years. The squatters, aided and abetted by employees who in many cases had little choice but to comply with their master's wishes, became the dominant political force in the new colonies in Australia that were springing up across the continent. Even in those colonies like Victoria and South Australia that were not penal settlements, ex-convicts, ticket of leave men and women, provided a cheap, docile source of labour for the squatters as they attempted to wipe the indigenous population from the face of the earth so they could enjoy the bounty of the lands of the people they had dispossessed and murdered to create profits for themselves 
and strengthen their stranglehold on the political processes that were evolving in the emerging colonies in Australia. So that's the colonisation process, 1788 to 1854. It was really a period of rape, murder, forceful evictions, which saw, as I said, over 200 independent nation states with over a million people reduced to less than 50,000 people during that, uh, was it, 66-year uh, period. Egalitarianism. Yes, we did have a period of egalitarianism in this country, 1854 to 1975. Two important events in Australian history bookend the egalitarian phase of Australia's development as a modern egalitarian community. The Eureka Rebellion on the 3rd of December in 1854 and the dismissal of the Whitlam-led Labor government in 1975. So during this 121-year period, what we saw was the blood, sweat and tears and the organisational capacities of men and women create that egalitarian streak in the Australian nation. On the 3rd of December 1854, the European class structure that had been replicated in Australia was turned on its head. Men and women from all corners of the world, many political refugees from the failed 1848 revolutionary wave that swept across Europe, came together in Ballarat in Victoria to create a new world three of class divisions. The Eureka rebels believed they were born with inalienable rights and liberties that no government could take away from them. Their aspirations were encapsulated in the Eureka Oath. We swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other and fight to defend our rights and liberties. One of the most significant oaths uttered in human history. We, we, the people. One of the most significant... People of all colours, races, cultural backgrounds, national origins and religions took up arms to defend what they believed were their inalienable rights and liberties. The Eureka Rebellion became the light on the hill that guided working class people for the next 121 years. The struggle between capital and labour was initially fought in the streets, then in the workplace through the creation of the trade union movement, and finally in Parliament, when the, when the leader of the newly formed Labour Party, John Christian Watson, briefly became Prime Minister in April 1904. At the beginning of the 20th century, Australia was a beacon of hope for working people around the world. Let's not forget that. Australia was touted as the new world three of class division. Using a combination of extra-parliamentary and parliamentary tactics, 
the trade union movement and the newly formed Labor Party made it their mission to ensure wealth flowed into the hands of working people. Obviously, during this period, there were many issues that needed to be addressed that were never addressed. But the important thing was this egalitarian spine that was being built. At the same time, the state was being transformed from a vehicle of oppression that protected the interests of that small section of society that owned the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication to an instrument that was used to look after the needs of those who had been forced to be satisfied with the crumbs that were being brushed off the corporate table, the employer's table. Wages grew, conditions improved, public-owned enterprises provided essential services and education, the vehicle that allowed so many working people's children to escape the lives their parents had led became accessible to most Australian children. Not all, but most. The Whitlam-led Labor government, elected in 1972, marked the high water level in the struggle to create an egalitarian community in Australia. In the four short years it was in power, before it was illegally and unconstitutionally removed from power, it passed more legislative reforms to benefit working people since all federal governments have done since Federation. Let's not forget that. No wonder 40 years after the dismissal of the Whitlam Labor government, corporate Australia and the conservative lapdogs in the corporate-owned media continue to refer to it as the worst government since Federation. And it really makes me sick to hear modern-day commentators say, we are the lucky country, we are the luckiest country in the world, as if that luck just happened. That luck didn't happen. We have had, have had is the key, a decent life for most working people in this country, not because we're lucky, but because of the sacrifices made by hundreds of thousands of men, women and children during that period when they wrested power from those who exercised it. Let's not forget where our luck comes from. It has nothing to do with luck. It's all about struggle. The counter-revolution... 1975 to 2015. 40 years of counter-revolutionary activity. Since the dismissal of the Whitlam-led Labor government, Australians have lived for a period of rapid social, political, cultural and technological change, which has fundamentally and irreparably change traditional ruling class and working class dynamics. The neoliberal-led deregulation, privatisation, corporatisation and globalisation counter-revolution that has swept across this country 
over the past four decades has succeeded in redefining class dynamics to such an extent. The corporate class, Australia's 21st century ruling class, exercises the same political power the squatters exercised during the colonial period. And that's the difference. Power has shifted into the hands of a small group of people who own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. The new corporate squatters, the new corporate owners of the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication have, by usurping the power of parliament, created a 21st century bourgeoisie, Australian bourgeoisie, the investment class. While only about 1% of Australians belong to the new ruling class, the corporate class, about 15% belong to the newly created investment class. The investment class has been created through the passage of federal legislation that directly benefits Australians with disposable incomes. The new investment class straddles the traditional middle class and working class. Entering to the investment class is solely determined by disposable income or access to borrowed wealth. Anyone, whether a professional a wage earner or a retiree who has access to excess funds can avail themselves of this country's generous, overtly generous superannuation and negative gearing laws and the ability to claim tax losses on money borrowed to invest in the stock market. Let's not forget that Australia is the only country in the world where you can claim a tax deduction if you own more than one home but can't access your superannuation funds to help buy your first home. In 21st century Australia, the wage earner who has no disposable income after meeting their living expenses has become the new convict chained to a hand-to-mouth existence financed to a large degree by borrowed money. Currently, Currently, nearly 70% of taxation revenue still comes from pay-as-you-earn taxpayers. Corporate Corporate Australia pays voluntary taxation, while the more audacious tax pirates like Rupert Murdoch's News Corporation received an $886 million tax refund in 2013 while paying no tax in 2014. The investment class the 1 million Australians who have negatively geared a second home, pay on average taxes on incomes between $30,000 to $50,000 because of Australia's overly generous investment taxation laws. Those at the bottom of the pile in the land of opportunity are fair go and milk and honey are the 33% of Australians who rely on social security benefits to survive. Those on new start allowances, age pensions, disability support pensions, single parent benefits, 
have to jump through an increasing number of onerous hoops to access the basic necessities of life. The neoliberal counter-revolution of the last 40 years has succeeded in ensuring the 80% of Australians who rely on wages or social security benefits to survive will never be able to stop pulling the oars on the good ship of Australia, while the one percenters, the corporate class, and and their Frankenstein creation, the investment class, continue to enjoy the views on the upper decks. Now, as I keep saying in this program, we can wax lyrical about reality, but what are we going to do about it? Where to now? 2016, question mark. It's no exaggeration to say over 80% of Australians find themselves in the same position convicts, ticket-of-leave men and women and poor immigrants found themselves in Australia during the colonial period. The domination of political, social and cultural life by a corporate class that doesn't pay tax and the rise and rise of an investment class that pays minimal tax while lining its pockets at the expense of the rest of the community has created major schisms in Australian society. Let's not forget this. We are a divided community. Faced with a range of political parties that are little more than corporate apologists, increasing pressures on the home front, they call it the life-work balance, increasing pressures of work, and increasing problems paying off debts. No wonder payday lenders' yearly turnover has increased from about $100 million 10 years ago to over $1.2 billion in the last decade. Increasing number of Australians, like their counterparts, during the egalitarian period of our history will use both parliamentary and extra-parliamentary tactics to ensure ultimate political authority in a democratic society rests in the hands of the people. Not the state, the government of the day, the bureaucracy or the corporate sector. We can only usher in the radical egalitarian change that is urgently required when the majority of Australians realise we... That's right, we are the people we've been waiting for. The power to change what has occurred over the past 40 years ultimately rests in our hands. It ultimately means us taking both parliamentary and extra-parliamentary action to reverse the changes that have occurred over the past 40 years. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Rascar, I'm hosting today's program. If, you like, if you'd like to learn more about anarchism or the ideas that I talk about on this program, go to the website, anarchistmedia.org. You can see what's going on. You can uh, leave messages on 0439 395 489. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email us at com. Let's move on. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do in a practical sense? Well, in a practical sense, we have a number of actions that we've planned for 2016. And these actions revolve around 
the idea of forcing corporate Australia to pay its way. That's what they're faced with. Just in the last 24 hours, it's become common knowledge that Apple, which had a $7.9 billion turnover in the land of Oz, paid $85 million tax. And and Apple says quite clearly, and every corporation says quite clearly, Apple pays all taxes in accordance with Australian law. Can I repeat it again? Apple pays all taxes in accordance with Australian law. And when Rupert Murdoch received his $886 million tax refund in 2013... They said exactly the same thing. News Corporation and 21st Century Fox pays all taxes in accordance with Australian law. And I should repeat that phrase for the next 30 minutes. Corporate Australia pays all taxes in accordance with Australian law. When the Dexas Property Group which has over $19 billion of uh, property assets, mainly commercial in this country, pays less than 5% taxes. They pay all taxes in accordance with Australian law. And when the IKEA group pays less than 3% taxes, they pay all taxes in accordance with Australian law. And when Chevron pays $265 tax on multi-million dollar profits, they pay all taxes in accordance with Australian law. And that's the phrase, isn't it? They pay all taxes in accordance with Australian law. So if corporate Australia is not paying their own way and... They are obeying the letter of the law, if not not the spirit, but the letter of the law. What do we need to do? It's simple. We need to change the laws so that they actually pay their own way. Because as they keep telling us, rubbing in our face, they are doing nothing illegal. And how has it come to such a, a state that almost 70% of every dollar which is raised in taxation revenue in this country comes from the pockets of pay-as-you-earn taxpayers, while the 15% of Australians who uh, enjoy their investment perks pay minimal taxation and the corporate class basically pays no taxation? It's all about Australian law. And who makes Australian law? Parliament makes Australian law. Both state parliaments and federal parliament. The House of Representatives and the Senate federally make most, make all Australian taxation laws. So why is it? Why is it so hard? to change the legislative 
agenda so corporate Australia pays its fair share of tax? Well, it's simple, Dumbo. It's simple. It's so hard because corporate Australia, the new squatters, have usurped the power of Parliament. No politician is willing to say boo. No major political party is willing to say boo because as soon as they open their mouth, what happens? They are pilloried on a day-to-day basis in the corporate-owned media and to a lesser degree in the Government Guild at ABC. So there is never a proper debate about the C word, class. There is never a proper debate about taxation reform. Because if you have been following this phony, crappy debate about taxation reform, it's all about increasing the GST, the goods and services tax. And why is it about increasing the goods and services tax? Because the majority of the goods and services tax is borne by ordinary people. Because businesses claim the goods and services tax as a tax deduction, Dumbo. They must think we're idiots. So because they can feel a little bit of unease in the Australian population because there's no money for infrastructure, there's no money for public education, there's no money for public health, there's no money for public housing, and they can feel the natives are restless, they can feel people soaring, you know, the seat, soaring the corporate, the feet off the corporate table so the cake spills and everybody enjoys some cake. They can feel it there. They need to raise money. But they won't say boo to the corporate class. It's all about increasing the goods and services tax, which is normally paid by ordinary people. You pick up your gas bill, 15%, not 10%, goods and your electricity bill, and the list goes on and on. So what are we going to do to ensure that corporate Australia pays its way? Well, why don't you take a leaf out of our book? Why don't you take a leaf out of our book? Because for the last two years, we have been attempting to create a political, social, cultural movement which is based on the concept of a corporate Australia paying their own way. Not through begging and beseeching the government of the day, which has no real power. Not through begging and beseeching the corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC to put our message across to the people. But by creating a new political movement and a new political party called Public Interests Before Corporate Interests, whose major, major role is to raise the issue of why corporate Australia does not pay its own ways and the urgent need to have serious, serious tax reform in this country. And this year, we've changed our tactics. This year, and again, when you listen to me talk about what we're going to do, you can do The same thing in your part of the world. Exactly the same thing. On the first Friday of the month, which will be the 5th of February, at 4.30pm, 
will be gathering at Federation Square at the corner of Flinders and Swanson Street. Don't forget Federation of Square is not public open space. It is private space, but doesn't matter. We'll be there at 4.30pm. And we want you to bring placards and flags and signs. What's the point of having hundreds of people, if not thousands of people there, if other people don't know what we're on about? Bring those placards and signs. At 5pm, we'll be walking from Federation Square through peak hour traffic to the headquarters of Australia's 24 carat corporate leaners to shame them and our federal politicians into passing legislation that puts public interest before corporate interests. And on Friday the 5th of February, we'll be marching from Federation Square to Murdoch's flagship in Australia, the Herald and Weekly Times building at 40 City Road, South Bank, Melbourne. And what we need is not 10 people or 20 people or 100 people or 1,000 people. We need 100,000 people. We need that city to be jammed with people who are saying, pay your way, corporate Australia. And we will be repeating the same action with a different destination on the 4th of March, the 1st of April, the 6th of May, the 3rd of June, the 1st of July, the 5th of August, the 2nd of September, the 7th of October and the 4th of November. And why? Why go to all this trouble? Because Australia doesn't have a spending problem. It has a revenue problem. That's right, a revenue problem. Over 30% of corporations based in Australia in the last financial year, that's the, of the 1,500 top you know, grossing earning corporations, over 30% paid no tax, N-O tax. And they did it in accordance with Australian law. They did it legally. While the majority of those that paid tax paid less than 5% tax. If only I could pay less than 5% tax. It is obvious, blindly obvious to everyone, except for our federal politicians, that Australia has a revenue problem. Well, on a daily basis, the corporate-owned media carries on about welfare fraud, and the burden carried by the community, <laughs> because 33% of Australians rely on old age, disability, unemployment and single parents' benefits to survive, how many Australians know that Murdoch's own news corporations, which owns over 70% of Australia's newspapers, received an $886 million tax refund during the 2013 financial year and paid no tax during the 2014 financial year. While 21st Century Fox, Murdoch's other media arm, paid less than 1% tax during the same period. And those of you who tell me we are now in a modern age, the newspapers don't count. Well, they do, boys and girls, because the newspapers, despite their shrinking revenue base, despite the decreasing number of people who read them, still set the political, cultural and social agenda 
of the day. It's what's in the paper that becomes the discussion point in on radio, television, the net, the Twitter stream, you name it, for the next 24 hours in this country. No wonder Rupert Murdoch continues to bankroll The Australian, a newspaper which was launched in 19, I think 1960, or it could have been 1964, which has never made a profit in the last 50 years. Not one cent in profit. This is about having the power to determine the political agenda on that day. It's about having the power to influence Australian society into what is important. For example, give you an example. 26th of January, Australia Day, bingo. I mean, big onslaught this year, big onslaught, lots of money, lots of, you know, lamb advertisements, you name it, Australia Day. Now, this is a simple concept. 26th of January, the day colonisation progress process began. Simple. Let's, let's pretend that in 1942, the Japanese imperial forces successfully invaded and subjugated the Australian people, took their lands, put them in these little camps around the country. Do you think those survivors will be out in the streets waving flags for their new imperial masters? Of course they wouldn't. So what type of nation continues to celebrate its day of Australianness, whatever that means, on the day the colonisation process began? Now this should have been rescinded 50 years ago. There should have been another day for us to celebrate what we have achieved. And we have achieved much during this period through the blood, sweat and tears of ordinary Australians against the wishes of those who continue to set the parliamentary agenda. But that debate is a peripheral debate. It's not a central debate. And that's because of the power of the corporate-owned media. Going back to the original topic, it seems in Australia there is one set of laws for corporations and another set of laws for the rest of the community. As Apple says, Apple pays all taxes in accordance with Australian law. As News Corporation and 21st Century Fox says, we pay all taxes and get all tax refunds in accordance with Australian law. Unless federal politicians of all political hues are willing to make corporate taxation revenue their number one priority during 2016, an election year, we can expect to be told ad nauseum there is not enough money for public health, public education, public housing, public arts, public infrastructure, and most importantly of all, money for those 33% of Australians who rely on social security benefits to, to survive. In 2016, the power of our parliamentary representatives to make decisions that benefit the people they represent 
has been usurped by that small section of society, the new squatters, the corporate class, less than 1% that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. There is something terribly unfair about the land of a fair go for all when the richest 1% own more than 40% of the country's wealth while the poorest 40% own less than 1% of the country's wealth. Now, I'm just a simple person. Public interest before corporate interest is just a minuscule political movement currently, but I expect by the end of the year, you know, it's going to be a major political and social force in this country because these are the type of ideas that need to be talked about on a daily basis. What are a fair, a very few simple ways that we can ensure that corporate Australia pays its way? And you don't need a revolution. You don't need blood in the streets. You don't need police batten charging people on, you know, on their horses. You you don't need, you know, you don't need blood, sweat and tears. It's simple. Why can't our federal representatives introduce legislation in both houses of federal parliament that ensures that corporations, the one percenters, pay their fair share of tax and all those tax lurks that the investment classes currently enjoy, the 15% is removed. Let's look at the corporate sector. Some simple ideas. These are simple ideas that only need legislation. And this will only occur when our federal political representatives fear us more than they fear the corporate sector, fear our influence more than they fear the influence of the corporate sector. And that's what it's about. And if you think you're going to Twitter a few messages or SMS a few things or do a bit of click activism, you're wrong. We need hundreds of thousands of people involved in peaceful protest across this country. We need thousands to join us on Friday, the 5th of February, at Federation Square in Melbourne at 4.30pm. Because without thousands, nothing will change. So what are a few simple things we can do? Very simple. Simple, as I said, doesn't require revolution. You can introduce a 1% turnover tax on companies, individuals that turn over more than $5 million in Australia each financial year. You can't hide that. So if you, if Apple has a turnover of $7 billion, 1% tax on that, on that would create, I think, a tax of $790 million, not $85 million. You could introduce a 1% stock market turnover tax every time a share on the Australian stock market is bought and sold. And according to my humble ca- calculations, the public coffers would get an extra 20 to $25 billion per year. You wouldn't even feel, investors wouldn't even feel the 1%. And all those superannuants who say, oh, it means, you know, I'm going to suffer. You're not going to suffer because you get better public education, better public infrastructure, and more importantly, better public health. You don't need to waste your money on privately covering yourself. And why not? And why not? 
introduced a 10% taxation levy on the turnover of companies and individuals who trade in Australia who use overseas tax havens to minimise their tax. We could see our beloved Prime Minister, Mr Turnbull, who loves to use you know, overseas uh, tax havens, pay that 10% taxation levy on any turnover. And these are simple measures. But these measures not only raise enough money to ensure Australia has a strong social security system, a strong you know, safety net, an adequate public health sector, an adequate public education sector, good public housing and resources of public infrastructure, it does more. It would allow micro and small businesses that employ over 5 million Australians, nearly 40% of the workforce, to be able to compete against large corporations that currently pay voluntary taxation. And it would reward those Australian-owned companies that don't use overseas tax havens who currently pay their fair share of tax. They wouldn't have to pay the 10% taxation levy, would they? So this is a matter of political will. And political will comes from below. It comes from people making demands and acting on those demands. As I said before, we have come through a 40-year counter-revolutionary period where every benefit that has been torn out of capital over the past, you know, since the colonisation process began, has been turned on its head. Where the rich pay no taxes, the poor through the GST pay their own way. It's simple. As I said before, I encourage you, I encourage you to join us on the 5th of February. And if you listen to this program anywhere in Australia, I encourage you to organise your own action on the 5th of February. I encourage you to become involved. Don't just think about it as somebody else will do it. You know, you you may be a member. What I suggest you do is you hand in your membership to the somebody should be doing some something about that club. You know? Hand in your membership. Hand it in. You do something about it because ultimately it's you taking action which will change things. And those of you who are interested in crap, I've got a theory. Abbott. Comeback trail. Now, don't worry if you're a Malcolm Turnbull supporter, and I'm sure you're out there, as the Liberal National Party's fortunes have reversed with his election because he's happy to say the right things to the right people but not happy to use the C word in his conversations, class. Well, Abbott has a plan and the Conservative section of the Liberal Party has a plan to get back into power. And that plan revolves around the idea of allowing Malcolm Turnbull to go to the next election. He wins the next election... He gets a majority in the Senate as well as the House of Representatives and then 
12 months into his leadership, the conservative forces under Abbott will unseat Mr Turnbull, take over federal parliament and do the bidding of their corporate masters. The Murdoch's minions will do the bidding of their corporate masters. That's what it's about. Because ultimately... Parliamentary politics is about faith. You put your faith in an individual to do the right thing by you. And if you want change, and as I said before, I could wax lyrical till the cows come home, you know, to be milked. I can wax lyrical. Well, that's irrelevant. What's relevant is we need to remember that corporate Australia pays no taxes in accordance with Australian law. Those laws need to be changed. If you want to join Pipsy, have a look at their website, pipsy.net. Go to the Facebook page, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. Download the application form from pipsy.net. Email them, info at pipsy.net. Want application forms? Uh, you can ring me on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. Leave a contact name and address and I'll send you out some application forms. As I said before, you can download it from pipsy.net. We have over 500 members currently. We expect to have 10,000 by the end of the year. But the important thing is, more importantly, we are a political and social movement, not just a political party. It's about alerting our fellow citizens to the fact that change comes when people join together, take action. And that's the critical part of it. Also, I'd just like to thank all those people who are involved in the Tanaminaway Moorbohina commemorations on the 20th of January. Thank you for coming along. Don't forget next year. But importantly, as I said before, it's up to you. The ball's on your court. Let's use a tennis analogy as we come to the you know, the business end of the Australian Open. The ball's in your court. Are you going to hit it back in the court or are you going to sit there and uh, get RSI from your clicked activism or uh, what, go blind from watching TV while you're doing other things? So it's up to you, not up to me. I've done my best today. It's up to you. Join Pipsy. Get involved in the Anarchist Institute initiatives in this country. Get involved. Don't like what we're doing. You act. Because if you don't act, corporate Australia will continue to pay taxes in accordance with Australian law, which means they will pay nothing and you will be the ultimate sufferer. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. You can ring us on 0439 395 489. Yes, we do. Ah, one last thing. Send us $1 stamps. We need them now because we have a lot of people who don't use the net who we write to. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. $1 stamps. Do it now. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Listen in to the Anarchist World this week, next week. Evil minds that plot destruction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.